So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to, turn to, Numbers chapter 11. If you're one of those types of people that like to read along, I'm, I'm one of those types of people. But if not, no worries. The words are going to come up on the screen as we walk through this scripture together. So over the last, the last few weeks, we've been in, in one chapter, Numbers chapter 11. And we've entitled this series, The Wilderness, so that those difficult times of life. And so the title of this message is, is Where Growth Happens. And so a lot of times we think in the wilderness, it's a dry, it's an arid place, and not anything grows in the wilderness. And what we're learning is there's a lot of things that grow in the wilderness. There's some good things that can grow in the wilderness. There's some great things that can grow in the wilderness. And then there also there's some destructive or some dangerous things that can grow in the wilderness. And so this morning we're looking at the subject where, where growth happens because some things grow in the wilderness. Now, if, if you're like me, there's, there's some things that I enjoy doing. There's some things that I love doing. And I love the arrival. I don't so much love the process, right? And there's some things in your life that you really enjoy doing, but you don't, you like the arrival, but not the process. It, it could be travel. It could be something like that, that you love getting there. You don't like the road trip or you don't like flying. And, and for me, I always think of like hiking. I mean, my wife and I, we, we love to hike, but I don't always enjoy the trail. I don't always enjoy the hike. Sometimes the inclines are, are, are steep and the weather's bad and I run out of snacks and get cranky and some of those other things. And, and so there's sometimes that I don't like the process. I don't like the trail, but I love the arrival. I love getting to that place to where you see the mountains and you see the colors. And, and so this happened real recently. We were, we were on a hike. It was a hard hike and I didn't like it. But when we got, when we arrived, it was amazing. It was in that moment that I thought, you know what? I am so thankful I live in Colorado. I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could. And so also, it's kind of funny, but I also had this thought when I was up there and saying, and I turned to Karen, I said, Karen, it's an amazing thing living in the state where God lives. God lives here. He may visit Texas, but he lives here, right? And so, uh, so it's an amazing thing. And so there's some things, listen, there's some things that we love. Listen, listen, we love the arrival. And we love getting there, but we may not, so much, but we may not love the, the, the process. And here's what I've learned. Sometimes it's the hardest hikes, the most difficult journeys that provide the, the most wonderful memories, those pictures that we take and we blow up and we hang on, on the wall in our house or an office or something like that. And so when you look at this issue, the scripture says that when we become a Christian, that part of our sanctification is becoming more like Christ, right? And so we all want to become more like Christ and have the peace and some of those other things. But a lot of times we don't like the process. A lot of times we don't like the things that we have to go through. Now, remember when God told Moses that I'm going to free you from Pharaoh and I'm going to take you to the land to promise the promised land, God mentioned nothing about the wilderness. But it was going to be in the wilderness that God was going to try to develop some things that they would need for the promised land. We, these wilderness experiences, if you can just remember this, these wilderness experiences are a gateway many times for a deeper understanding of Jesus a prayer and trust and some of those other things. So this morning, I just want to give you three quick things about what happens in the wilderness. The three types of schools that we have to go through uh, in the wilderness, we have to go through, we have to pass, we have to understand to get to where we want to go. The first school is this. Uh, we go to identity school. 
We go to identity school. I just need to remind you, as a Christian, our identity is in Jesus Christ. Our identity is not found in something else. Our identity is in in Christ. And, And when you look at this, you realize that when you hit the wilderness, it has a way of exposing where we placed our identity. And so we have a lot of people now in our world that are trying to place their identity in all kinds of different things for their their self-worth or for their value or so they know they're loved and some of those other things. But what we know of Scripture is this. As believers, what unites us is this, is that we're God's people. We find our identity in Christ. And so when you look at the wilderness experiences, you realize that there's three temptations to place our identity in something other than him. Fact is, before Jesus started out his earthly, message, uh, his earthly ministry, uh, that the scripture says that the, the spirit, full of the spirit, led him into a wilderness experience. And Satan tempted him with, with three temptations to place his identity in something other than God. And, and Jesus Christ came out full of the spirit, went to the cross, and crucified fear, guilt, and shame that we do not need to carry. And so when you look at this, there's three temptations. Let me give those to you just real quickly because a lot of times you can figure out, oh, that's my temptation. That's my temptation where I try to get my self-worth. I try to get my value. I try to get my identity. And the first one is this. It's just performance to where I am, I am what I do. And that's what gives me value, and that's what gives me meaning. But the problem is, is that when you hit the wilderness, when all of a sudden you get to that place of difficulty, you can develop a false belief and say, you know what, I just will never do enough. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how, I work, how hard I work. It doesn't matter what I achieve. It doesn't matter what I accomplish. I will never do enough. And you can carry a false belief to where you come to this place and say, I will never do enough. And guess what? You know the emotion that you'll carry? Guilt. Freedom comes, listen, freedom comes when we realize that our identity is in Christ and God loves us. It's not so much about our performance. It is about his presence that he is with us. Another temptation you may have is like to try to find your value. Your identity is in your possessions. Uh, I am what I have. I mean, I am what I have. And then all of a sudden you go through a challenge or something in life and and you can't achieve or have the things that you want to have. And you can, listen, you can develop a false belief that says, you know what, I'll never have enough. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I obtain. It doesn't matter what I get. It just seems like it's not enough to give me that value or, or that identity that I'm looking for. And you know what you'll carry when you hit the wilderness? When you're in that mode of false beliefs, I'll never have enough fear. Fear that I'll... I'll not have enough money next week. I won't have enough money to retire. I won't have enough money for my future. And free, listen, freedom comes when you and I realize that in Christ, guess what? God has always given me everything that I need. And God's going to be faithful to me. And God's going to be, be true to me. And he's going to take care of me. And then the third temptation is just this issue of popularity. Just this issue of popularity to where, you know what? I am what other people think. I am what other people say about me. And so for me, for my identity, everybody needs to speak well of me and everybody needs to think I'm awesome and I need a lot of followers on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. I just need that. But see, here's the problem with that. When you hit the wilderness and not everybody's speaking well of you or some people are criticizing you, if you're not careful, you will develop a false belief in life and go into this thing about, I will never be enough. No matter how popular I try to be, no matter how I try to please everyone just to get that acceptance and that approval from people, I will never be enough. And you know what emotion you will carry in the wilderness? Shame. 
You just carry this issue of shame, but freedom comes when you and I realize that, guess what? I am, I am who God says I am. I'm not, I am not who people say I am or how people criticize me or talk about me. Guess what? I am who God says I am. Now, listen, when we walk through this story of the wilderness with Moses and the people, we'll be able to identify their temptation. We'll be able to identify what they're carrying and how they tried to find their identity and possessions or popularity or performance. See, the danger, the danger of the wilderness, when we hit the wilderness, we, we can develop false beliefs. So we're no longer defined by what we have. We're defined by what we don't have. We're no longer defined by who we are. We're defined by who we once were. And you see this with these people. I mean, they come to this place. They forget. They're children of God. They're moving to the promised land, the place that God has promised them. And so they're, they're in the wilderness, and they're defining themselves by different things about who they are no longer. When you, when you look at, when you look at the, the children uh, that were following, the children of Israel that were following Moses, you know what their issues was? Possessions. I am what I have. And when they lost the, the leeks and the melons and the onions, the food, they, they carried fear. They carried fear. Moses was popularity. I am what other people say. And when they begin to criticize Moses, Moses came to those places, I'll never be enough. Both of them, and it's interesting, but you can develop this, both of them learned what people call, counselors call, learned helplessness. I just give up. I'll never be enough. I'll never have enough. I'll never do enough. So I give up. That's the danger. That's the danger right there of the wilderness. And so they're in the wilderness, and they're journeying towards the promised land, and this is not one of their finest moments. Over and over and over, God is trying to help them and ask them a question, will you trust me? Will you trust me in the wilderness? So you know the story. When they ran out of water, they they complained, and they complained against Moses, and they complained against God, and and they're saying we were better off without God, and we were better off in, in Egypt without him. We should have never followed him. We should have never trusted him. Then they have like a food crisis, right? And then even though God had been providing for them and he's providing manna from heaven, they complain again, again about, uh, against God and, and we should have never followed him. We should have never trusted him. Uh, you brought us out here to die. So now they're questioning the motives of God. They're questioning the motives of Moses. And, and they, were, they, they said, we were better off in Egypt and we were better off without you. And so when you look at this story, you realize this story has a sad ending. But it is so instructive for us because the wilderness, sometimes the wilderness is the place that we hate the most, but the place that God does some of his best work. It's the place that sometimes the wilderness where God finally gets our attention. It's sometimes that place that that we just hate the most, but it's God's finest moment when God just shows up and we realize that we can trust him. We realize that he'll provide for us. It's that middle of the, the hiking journey that you think about that sometimes we dislike the most, but the destination is so worth it. So we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 11, verse 18. God is telling Moses what to tell the people. This is what he says. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in readiness for tomorrow. For you will eat meat because you wept in the Lord's hearing. Who will feed us meat? We were better off in Egypt. The Lord will give you meat and you will eat. I just stop right here. This is kind of for free. Be careful what you pray for. You can pray so hard against the will of God, 
You can pray so hard and say, I don't trust you. You're not providing for me what I need. You can pray so hard for that that God just might give you what you've asked for to help you understand that he knows best, to help you understand that you can trust him, that he's not withholding anything good from you. So just be careful. Verse 19, you will eat not for one day or for two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month. Until it comes out of your nostrils, becomes nauseating to you. Because you have re rejected the Lord who is among you and wept before you. Why did we ever leave Egypt? So here's the core issue. They, have, they are not complaining to God. They're complaining about God. The core issue, they're rejecting God. Their identity is not found in being the people of God. Their identity is not found in God. Their identity is found in possessions and popularity and, and performance and some of those other things. And as a result of that, they like reject God. This, see, this is why Paul, over and over and over in the New Testament, 146 times, when Paul referred to New Testament believers, he said, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Because Paul was helping us to understand that our identity is found in him. If your identity is found in, in popularity or possession, or performance, then guess what? You will, it will be hard for you to just separate yourself and just follow him and trust him. So the first thing that happens in the wilderness is identity school to where you and I have to figure out where are we going to place our value, where are we going to place our confidence. The second thing is this, is unfortunately we can go to God's like discipline school. We can go to God's discipline school to where we understand that guess what? There's a consequence to our action. This is what happens with the children of Israel. They have rejected the Lord. They've been in the wilderness about two years, and it's interesting for this story. It's important for this story. They are right up against the promise. They're about ready to step into the promised land, and God's been providing manna for them, not what they wanted. Uh, they think he's withholding some things for them. They're right up against the promised land, and so this isn't just a complaint about the food choices and what they're going to have at school lunch or anything like that. They, this is a complaint against God. God, you, you are withholding something from us. You are not taking care of us. And so Numbers chapter 11, verse 21, he says, and this is what Moses said, so you're, you're going to understand, Moses dealt with popularity. And he says, I am in the middle of, of a people with, with, with 600,000 uh, foot soldiers, yet you say, I'll give them meat to eat, and they'll eat for a month. If the flocks and the herds were slaughtered for them, would, that have, ha, would they have enough? Or if all the fish in the sea were caught for them, would they have enough? And look at this. I mean, Moses learned helplessness. God, I, I can't do this. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm weak? Now you will see whether or not what I have promised you will happen. That's what happens in the wilderness. And so Moses comes to the Lord and learned helplessness. And, Lord, and Moses says, Lord, you know, I can't perform here. I mean, even if, I, even if we took and did like a Texas-style barbecue and we, you know what, we barbecued all the sheep and we barbecued all the goats and, and then we went to the sea and we caught all the fish, that'd be like for this group of people, in case you didn't know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, that'd be like a week's worth of food. And God looked at Moses and says, Moses, do you think the arm of the Lord is too short? Do you think my word isn't true? Do you think my word isn't true that I will provide for you and take care of you? And then when you just continue on journeying through the story, you know that God sent like this migration, quail migration. I mean, it, it was like the mother of all migrations. 
And I mean, the quail, the wind blew, and the quail were, were, were low enough to where people were being able to snack. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a miracle. And God provides quail for them. I mean, they are off. No more vegan diet. No more plant-based. You know, it is meat. It is a meat. No more impossible burgers for them. Okay? Now they are able to eat meat. And so look at this, verse 31. And a wind sent by the Lord came up and blew quail in, the, in from the sea. It dropped them all around the camp. They were flying three or um, three feet off, off the ground for about a day's journey in every direction. And the, pe- the people were up all that day and night and all the next day gathering the quail. They took, they took the, the one who, who took the least gathered 60 bushels and they spread them out all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth. So you think, you think they would give thanks. You think they would turn to God. You think, but they don't. And watch this. While the meat was still between their teeth. Before it was chewed, the Lord's anger burned against the people. And the Lord struck them with a very severe plague. Now one of the things to translate out that word plague is just consequence. There's a consequence to action. Now listen, let me ask you something. Because of this, there's some people that died. Did this not disturb anybody? Does this not disturb anybody? This is like in our Bible. And so I I would just tell you, it is a disturbing story to deal with, but a great story to tell your children at dinner time. (laughs) Hey, kids, before you you complain about the food, Daddy has a little Bible story he'd like to read for you. Now, eat your broccoli. And so anyway, that's just a parenting tip. And so it may not be a very good one. But this gives us an opportunity to talk about consequences to our actions in the Lord's discipline. That sometimes there's a consequence to not trusting God. There's a consequence to, to our action. And sometimes God disciplines us that inflicts pain for redemptive purposes. I mean, we understand that in parenting, right? We understand that, that good parents care about their kids. And sometimes they will discipline Sometimes they will apply timely and appropriate discipline. Because parents understand that, guess what? We're not raising children. We're raising adults. And we're raising adults that one day they want to be responsible and consider the needs and the desires of other people and realize life doesn't revolve all around them. I mean, I always, when I hear this story or think about this, it reminds me of some friends of ours in, in Texas. And so this, this story was when Brittany and Amanda were really young and we bought our first house and across the street from us in Texas lived a, good, a couple and they had children about the same age as Brittany and Amanda and they became good friends. And Missy and Razor, those are great Texas names. And so, uh, and so Missy and Razor became good friends of ours. And so we'd have meals in their home and they'd have meals in our home. And, and so one day we decided, hey, instead of eating you know, at home, let's just go out Let's go out one night. Let's take the kids out to dinner. And it was a fairly nice dinner. You know, no Happy Meals and Playland or anything like that. I mean, it's like one of those quiet restaurants where you actually ordered from a mint, you know, those types of restaurants. And so it's quiet in there. And so our kids were really young. We'd never been out in public with Missy and Razor and their two kids. We get in and we sit down. And they literally had no control over their kids. And they wouldn't stay in their chairs. And they'd just like run around the restaurant. At one point, one of their children ate off the plate of another table. I mean, and Missy and Razor are like, this is normative. It's not even freaking them out. It is freaking me out. And I'm glaring at my children like, don't you, I mean, don't you dare. Uh, don't you even uh, no, don't you even think about it? And man, they are watching. And so, at one point, 
at one point, their oldest daughter, like, disappeared. She's about five at the time. She literally disappeared. And they're not even freaked out. All of a sudden, out of the kitchen came the chef and the manager. And the chef looks at us and says, you know, one, whose kid is this? And I'm like, it is them. It is not, it is not me. And so he, and he turned and he looked at them and he said, hey, I need to let you know your daughter was like in the kitchen. And so in the kitchen, we have open flames, we have hot grease, we have sharp objects, we have knives. This is a huge liability. And then the manager, the manager couldn't stand any longer. He just totally interrupted. He says, hey, here's the deal. Either you keep your kids in their chairs or you need to leave. I mean, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. So good, good parents understand this, right? Good parents understand that there are times that there has to be a consequences to action. There are times that we have to apply timely and good discipline uh, for our children because we're not raising children. We're raising adults. And so when you look at this, you realize that God was trying to teach them something. God was trying to rescue. And so a lot of times when there's consequences to our action, it, it is an act of love. Isn't it an act of love? When a mom or a dad will love their kids enough to apply discipline, because it's hard work. It is hard work. It is not easy, especially in times in which we live. And it's really an act of love that God is trying to rescue something in them. He's trying to prepare them. What? He's not trying to prepare them for adulthood like we do with children. He's trying to prepare them for the promised land. He's trying to get them ready for the promised land. And so Numbers chapter 11, they, they get the... the, the, the uh, the quail, and God blesses them, and they still don't trust him. It's still not enough. They still don't trust him. Numbers chapter 13, many of you know the story that Moses got to the place and decided to send 12 in, 12 spies into the promised land to spy out the land and see if it's a place of flowing with milk and honey and some of those other things. And, and so they send the 12 spies in. 12 spies come out. The 10 uh, didn't want to trust God. Joshua and Caleb wanted to trust God. The ten come out and say, you know what? You're not going to believe this. It is just as God described. I mean, it is just as God described. And, and so it is a place flowing with milk and honey. It is an amazing place. It is a beautiful place. There's plenty of food for everybody. It is a wonderful place. But then they say, but there's giants. There's giants in the land. And we seem like grasshoppers to them. And all of a sudden, the people begin to weep and wail. And say, we're not going to trust him. And we're not going to trust and take care of the giants. We're not going to trust him. And so they begin to weep and well. And Joshua and Caleb says, listen, God has been faithful to us. Let's just trust him. If he said we can take the tr promised land, we can take the promised land. And the people responded, no, we can't trust God. And we can't trust Moses. And we can't trust Joshua or Caleb. We need to go back. We need to go back from where we, we came from. And so when you look at this, God over and over and over was asking them and telling them, I need you to trust me. I just need you to trust me. When you run out of water, I need you to trust me. When you run out of food, I need you to trust me. When you think you need meat to eat, I need you to trust me. When Pharaoh's army is bar bearing down on you and attacking you, I need you to trust me. When you see giants in the promised land, giants in your future, I need you to trust me. And over and over and over, the people kept saying, no, we won't. No, we not won't. It's kind of like in our time, God telling us, when you watch the news, I need you to trust me. When you watch the financial markets all over the place, I need you to trust me. When you look at your 403B or your 401K or your investments, I, 
I need you to trust me. When you watch an economic forecast, I need you to learn to trust me. When you deal with inflation, and Walmart is more and more expensive, I need you to trust me. When you deal with supply chain issues, when you deal with labor shortages, I need you to trust me. When people around you are stressed out and frustrated and fragile and carrying anxiety and fear and outrage, I, I need you to trust me. When the president says, nuclear Armageddon is imminent, I need you to trust me. I need you to learn. I just need you to learn to trust me. Here's an interesting thing. This last week, I was with a friend of mine, and this, this friend has, has a company that provides medical insurance, health insurance for a lot of companies. And so we're just talking, and I ask him, hey, what are, what are you seeing in our world? What are you seeing? Maybe I'm living a sheltered life in a church and all this other stuff. What are you seeing? He said, Charlie, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. For the first time, and I've been doing this 30, 35 years, he said, for the first time in my career, our mental health claims are higher than our medical claims. He said, I get all the reports. It is shocking, the depression, the anxiety, the fear that people are carrying. And he said, not only that, when you, when you drill down into this, and you start seeing the, the meds that are being prescribed, it's not, it's not like lower shelf meds. When you realize we are heavily, heavily medicated, just trying to cope, and God over and over and over was telling them, will you trust me? I need you to trust me. Can I just tell you something just real quickly? If you can't trust God in the wilderness, you'll never trust him in the promised land. And I hear a lot of people say, you know what? When life is going my way, when the job is good, I'm getting vacation, the marriage is great, the kids are doing well, the economy is like I'm firing on all eight cylinders, man, when, when everything's going well, then I'll trust him. You'll still carry fear because you'll want to know when it's going to end or when the shoe is going to drop. If you and I, listen, I'm just telling you, if you and I cannot trust him in the wilderness, we'll never trust him in the promised land. See, this is a problem with children of Israel. The last thing is this. It just leads into this. We just go to trust school. We go to identity school. We go to consequence or discipline school. And then we go to trust school because a lot of times it is in the wilderness that God is trying to develop in us this issue of trust. That if, you can tr if I can trust you, if you provide for me at the darkest of times of my life, then I can trust you with anything. And so they leave Egypt, and they're not a well-ordered, you know, group of people. And so we know this, right? Trust is the glue that holds all relationships together. If you don't have trust in a relationship, your relationship's going to struggle. And if you don't trust God, listen, your relationship with God is going to struggle because you just down deep don't know if you can trust him. And so the people are rebellious, and they're not going to believe God. They're not going to believe Moses. They're not going to believe Caleb or Joshua. They're not going to believe any of them. And so they don't trust. You know what they only trust? They only trust in their group. Tribalism. Oh, I only trust in my tribe. I only trust in them. And the quail, the, the quail story happens and at, the, at the border of the promised land. And they say, we're, we're going to pick another leader. We're going to go back to Egypt because we want someone that leads by popular opinion. We want somebody that's politically correct. 
We want someone that leads by what's popular in the culture, in the, in the times. And they said, we, we will not trust you, and we will not trust God. And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones. Listen, here's the interesting thing. Remember that principle, if you can't trust him in the wilderness, you'll never trust him in the promised land? Only Joshua and Caleb trusted him in the wilderness. They were the only two that went into the promised land. Every time we turn on the news, every time we hear what's going on in the economy, every time we hear when people are freaked out and outraged and everything else, it's a question, will you trust me? I need you to trust me. Unfortunate is what I believe. The wilderness is not optional for any one of us. It's not optional. What is optional is how we walk through it. What is optional is whether we trust him or whether we don't. Numbers chapter 11, if only we had meat to eat. They're, they're angry at God. God, this is what you're not doing. This is what you're not providing for us. And, and there's consequences to their action. And over and over and over, God is just trying to get their attention, trying to bring them to the point where they just know that they can trust him. See, the wilderness is fertile ground for what I believe transformational growth. If we will respond to him, it's in the wilderness that there's like this, there's like this transformational growth that is different than like daily growth or incremental growth. For instance, when, when life is going good for you and the economy is going well and the world affairs are going well, the marriage is going well, the jobs are going well, your relationships are going well, the kids, you, whatever it is, when life is going well for you, then that's, those are the times, man, we're just going through the rhythms. We're going to worship services. We're reading our Bibles. We may be in a life group. We may be serving in ministry. And we're growing what I call just by inch by inch. And, 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 and it's just incremental growth. It's step by step. But here's what I've learned, that those create, those disciplines create channels for us, for God to work when we hit the wilderness. But there's something about the wilderness. There's something about the wilderness that all of a sudden there's this transformational growth if we respond, a deeper trust, deeper understanding of prayer and coming into the presence of God and just walking with him. There's this trans, listen, there is this transformational growth. I'm, I'm telling you, there are some wilderness experiences, and you guys know we entered, our family entered, entered the wilderness with some health challenges and some other things and in 2016, and it's like we're still in that. And I wouldn't wish that season on any of you, and I don't want to walk through that season ever again, but I would not give up the principles that I learned in that season, in that wilderness. I learned it is not about being popular, and it's not about your possessions, and it is not about your performance. Because we will only carry fear, guilt, and shame. And Christ went through a wilderness experience. He went to the cross for on our behalf, and he crucified fear and guilt and shame. So we didn't have to carry any of that. And when, we, when we're in trust school, he just continually is asking us, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And so maybe for you this morning, and maybe your response is just come into the place and just be honest with the Lord and just say, God, I, I don't like this space. I don't like this wilderness experience, and that's okay. God, I, I, I don't like this. And I, I don't like what's happening to me. I don't like what I'm dealing with on a, on, a, on a continual basis. But, Lord, I need to feel your presence. 
And I'm going to learn to trust you. And I'm going to learn to walk with you. And I'm going to trust you through this that I know. Just as you have provided for me up until this point, Lord, you're going to continue to provide for me. And you're going to continue to care for me. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?